Thanks for having me. Cheers. Of course, man. <laughs> Cheers to you too, man. Welcome to the show, Sports Hip Hop with DJ Mad Max. We have one of the nicest MCs in the game. Goes by the name of Asher Roth. Asher Roth, how you doing tonight, man? Welcome oh, my, to the show. My guy, I'm doing well, bro. Fresh off of a 49ers uh, victory against the Cowboys, you know? <laughs> it doesn't get any better than that. And there's a lot of controversy in that last play with the referee touching that ball in the end. But, I mean, at least you got the win. That's all that counts. And it shouldn't even have been that close, you know? Yeah, no, it shouldn't have. How do you feel about Garoppolo? You think he's going to be gone next year? Trey Lance is coming in? Yeah, I think it's a given just because it's the business, you know. But, dude, I think we got to give Garoppolo his love. He really kind of pulled us out of the doldrums. And uh, I remember when he came in and, and won, reeled off five straight victories, and we were all, like, just happy happy to have a quarterback for the first time since Cap. And so, um, you know, I think people have a short memory on how bad it was for a little bit. And, uh, and, and Jimmy G's, you know, they love him. I've got love for him, even though there was a really good article written on the athletic today by Marcus Thompson. And he was just saying that, like, he really makes you feel all the ranges of emotions, you know, where he's just like, he does some bonehead shit for sure. But then he also will throw some dimes sometimes that, uh, like against the Rams that, that throw to Debo, but a lot of us are still waiting on that moment. Like, you know, that defining moment that kind of is going to uh, overshadow the overthrow in the Super Bowl. So hopefully it comes this upcoming week against the pack. Yeah, I hope so. And I hope you guys go far into the playoffs and you you get that win because you almost had it against the Chiefs there two years ago. So I'm hoping that you do. You you brought up Kaepernick and it's funny that you mentioned him on your song Charlemagne and that saying that he should be in the league still and he should. You look at all these quarterbacks and if you want to go specifically Mike Glennon with the Giants, it's pretty right. obvious that Kaepernick should be in this league and others shouldn't. Yeah, you know, and, and watching that all unfold, um, firsthand and you know for someone like myself obviously in rap music and you know feeling that when you have a platform that you do have responsibility in kind of what you say um how you say it you know those things you're, you're responsible for the things that are coming out of your mouth and you know we've seen it a lot with athletes and even with your with your show specifically sports and hip-hop there's so much crossover in those two worlds right yeah but You've seen it a lot with athletes and with LeBron James, kind of like that whole mantra that politicians had said, just shut up and dribble and stuff. But, you know, athletes are some of the most famous um, um, creators, I guess, you know, for of just people in general in our entire world. I mean, global, global superstars. So, you know, it's tricky when they're not um, educated. On, on social matters. So maybe their heart's in the right place, but maybe they're not fully educated on what's going on. And so what was interesting with Kaepernick was you could tell that, you know, his heart was in the right place, but he still needed to get educated on what was going on. And now keep in mind, you know, he's out there in the Bay Area, you know, Oakland, home of, home of the Black Panthers, yeah. you know, home of a lot of the dialogue and, and, and revolutionary times of, of social justice, uh, civil rights, and all those things. So he was cast in the middle of a really big conversation and a really important one. So I, I'm really proud of just the courage that it takes for somebody who's, when you're the starting quarterback of a franchise, a billion dollar business, and for you to put yourself out there like that, uh, for something that, again, it's, it's just bigger than, bigger than sports at that point. Uh, it was really, really interesting to watch that all unfold because again, I just think, I think it just started with, this is how I feel, I'm gonna sit down. Yeah. And and then the Marine um, had sat with him and told him, hey, maybe don't sit, maybe kneel. 
Mm-hmm. And so then it moves to a Neil and then it just takes on a life of its own, but really uh, a, a special guy. And I, I wish cap well, and I, you know, I, I hope uh, what, what he was able to do continues to push the uh, conversations forward, man. I hope so, especially in this day and age. Another bar that I really enjoyed hearing off of Charlemagne, too, was I'm Jordy Nelson recorded and scored by Darren Elfman. That was crazy. <laughs> hey, man, you took some notes. Yeah, man. I'm someone that and that appreciates the bars and the real hip-hop and authenticity, and I can tell that you studied the greats that came before you. I know you've cited in the past that Eminem and Jay-Z were main inspirations, but Pun was someone that you really looked up to and you can tell just in certain punchlines there that inspiration because pun kind of had that pitter patter where you just just go in and out and his sure. rhymes with the lyrics and and i kind of recognize that as you being a student of the game and kind of just putting that into your raps yeah the technical side of rap is always really funny i actually needed to get back to that because there was a part in my career where i got really focused on kind of songwriting and ideas and I got away from just the playfulness and, and wordplay and taking sounds and manipulating them. And that was actually and has always been something uh, that geeks me out the most. And someone like yourself as well, like seeing how excited you are about it. Like, you know, we call it bar work for the yeah. most part. And that a lot of that comes down to just like this technical aspect of just playing around with words. And it's, it's fun, man. When you do it well and you say something hot and you say it in a really dope way, and you say it kind of mathematically and the scheme is dope. It's special. Yeah. And I just go back to the greenhouse effect, volume one and volume two, just listen to some of those track numbers, a one, just going back. Those were the, the barred out records that I enjoyed mm-hmm. from you. Everyone always brings up. I love college. I love college puts you on the map, but those greenhouse effect volumes for me is the definition of Asher off. I appreciate that, man. And like, you know, for me, it's sometimes it's funny, uh, kind of objectively, I like to go back and just to listen to some of the stuff. And I'll, I'll revisit Greenhouse Effect Volume 2 and just be like, damn, there's some shit on this, you know, uh, that people might have missed. And But I think sports references, it's like, it's a lot like, you know, going in the cage and getting your swings in or like working on your routes. I mean, some of the like, when I bring up Jordy Nelson, and I bring up some of these sports references, I always have a lot of love for these guys who are just like, fundamentally sound watching like hunter renfro that dude's not supposed to be in the league you no. know what i'm saying <laughs> but my man knows how to get open and so i like that i almost study their game just as much as i study other rappers of just like yo being crafty you know what i mean being crafty can keep you around for a, a, quite some time it definitely can especially with your newest project the greenhouse effect volume three i loved how you incorporated your fans with this project because you were you were reaching them out reaching out to them on different platforms and you were putting the acapellas down and they were sending in submissions and this is how it all came about. Yeah, it, w- it was kind of important. I mean, cause the, the times called for it, you know, yeah. we're all kind of home twiddling our thumbs a little bit, like what's going on? What are we supposed to be doing? And uh, you know, I always want to do a greenhouse effect volume three, but with streaming and everything has changed so much since the first greenhouse came out. It's like, you know, it's one thing when you're just rapping over other people's beats, but now to the point with streaming and all of these, um, new forms of entertainment for the most part you can't really just throw other people you can't throw raps over other people's beats it's not really worth it you know what i'm saying you you can't get it on streaming unless you're working with somebody who can help you clear that stuff and so it all just added up to this kind of perfect moment where i was like yo let's get the fans involved who are there's so many talented kids out there on the internet man like that are either following what you're doing even just as an interviewer and a journalist and someone like myself uh, just whoever's working on their craft 
there are people watching and, and kind of seeing what you're doing. And it's always nice to kind of reach it, you know, reach, reach out, give a handout and say, yo, let's, let's see if we can do something together. And man, greenhouse effect volume three, it, it might not as be as like, you know, um, high, high style, high style profile. And as like the original greenhouse one and two with drama and canon, but I'm so proud of the kids and the artists that are involved in that because they talk about just taking an opportunity and delivering. You're putting these kids in like, you know, you're just giving them a shot. You're not writing raps for them. You're not really A&R in the project. You're just basically saying, here's an idea, you know, run with it. And they did, they did a really, really good job. And I, I was very happy to put my name on that. And uh, very, very fortunate that those kids showed out and, and really had a good time. In, in the beat switch on Bad Apple Magic, that was crazy too on the production side. You already know, yeah, that's that's Heather Gray. He's out in Salt Lake City. And funny enough, uh, this will be the first time we'll be announcing that Heather and I are, are actually working on an EP that will be dropping soon. It's called Gray. It's kind of about this like in-between space that we're in right now that's like in-between hope and doubt. Uh, really, really special stuff. But, uh, but Heather Gray's got some amazing production and I'm happy to announce right here on your show that we'll be putting out an EP together. So I'm glad you like Bad Apple Magic. That's huge. Yeah, because me, I'm someone that really dies into the discographies of all hip hop artists. You, we bring up pun. My favorite pun record of all time is Parental Discretion is Advised. Mm. I'm someone that goes real deep into those deep cuts, even what people would say is B-sides. Those records, to me, are the ones that people should really be putting the ear to because you have to do the mainstream records to sell yourself. But the message lies in those B-side tracks. You already know, man. I just actually listened to a, a Questlove interview uh, he was talking, I think he was just talking about Black Thought getting his, um, getting his flowers, but he had mentioned just artists, his favorite songs of his favorite artists are B-sides, you know what yeah. I mean? And that's really where the magic lies because, you know, you know the, a single or, or, or whatever it may be kind of might have some other uh, obligations, if you will. <laughs> you got that right. I know some of your favorite rappers as well. Most deaf Black Thought you just mentioned. You gave mm -hmm. Noriega his flowers when you were on his show. Biggie. You, mm -hmm. So you're a big student of the game. I can tell from behind you, you got a biggie painting on the wall too. A little young Lennox. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, like, you know, again, it's always tough when you're asked to, to give your top five because it's kind of time and place. And I think unadulterated Andre 3000 is really in there for me. Uh, I was, I am and actually a big fan of ODB and Keith Murray. I mean, those are two dudes that like listening to growing up, they're just one of ones, you know? Um, and so, you know, I would, I would definitely add them to the part of the conversation as well of just like listening to people and just being like, man, this feels so good and so authentic. Um, and so those are, those are other people on that laundry list of MCs that are just, uh, you know, that came before me and you just want to make sure that kids don't ever forget. It's, it, it's funny not to belabor the point, but it's like the same thing with the Niners and the Cowboys rivalry you know, Kyle Shanahan's talking to his team about this, that about this Cowboys Niners rivalry. And some of the kids on the team are like, I don't, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. You know what I mean? Cause they weren't alive for this, the Cowboys and the, and the Niners in the nineties. And so it's very similar with some of these MCs like Del, Del the funky homo sapien and, and some cats that like, you know might not be in the mainstream right now but inspired some of our favorite MCs growing up in the nineties. And, and people need to be made aware of them through whether it be myself or other MCs down the line. It's something that you do in relation to Keith Murray too. You're not afraid of stepping out of being inside the box. If you think of a Keith Murray record, straight jacket on Woo. the most beautiful thing in the world, that track goes crazy. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, man. I, I think it's like exactly like even the most beautifulest thing in the world, like just making up your own word, beautifulest yeah. and a word, but it is, you know what I mean? And I think it's even maybe a word that when it's said out loud, uh, there are a lot of people in this world that the first thing that they would think about is Keith Murray. And so that authenticity, again, to your point about B-sides and just like classic recordings, things that you've heard and you just go, damn, like they don't make them like that anymore. But absolutely, man, it's, it's cool to hear that you've kind of tapped into some of these, these MCs and they've, they've spoken to you just like they've spoken to me and, and millions of other people around the world. Yeah. And it's a shame. I've heard you speak about it in different interviews, just the people that really care about the culture and the craft of hip hop. They, people just don't care about it as much anymore. It's insane. But you do see the love finally going towards your way here with rappers such as Griselda, Dave East. You got some bar lords in the game right now. And it's slowly turning, I think. I think it's slowly turning for you guys. Yeah, you know, and it's true, bro. I mean, it's, it's, it is cyclical for what it's worth, right? And it's also as far as it's entertainment. Yeah. And so what's tricky about rap music, and we talk about it with punk music too, is that like people get in the game and their intentions are pure, right? And you see it a lot with rap music as well. And I, I bring it up specifically about rap, uh, rap music is because that's what I've paid most attention to. But if you got experts in classic rock and roll and all these other things, they might have the same story. But people get into the game and they get paid, right? And once they get paid, it kind of like, maybe it chills them out a little bit and they may maybe lose their hunger, um, whatever it may be. And so we've seen that a lot where a lot of the work specifically in rap music, we see it's like their early work is so good. And then like, as the career goes on, the, the work is like, you know, a little, a little bit not as, not as good. And, I know what uh, you mean. You know what I mean? And, and like, I think that it's kind of almost counterintuitive, right? You would almost feel like the longer you go on in your career, your work gets better and more refined. And, and just like, uh, that's always been interesting to me. And so you've, we've used the word a couple of times, like we love the craft, right? Like it is, it's a craft, it's, it's an art form. And so I have a ton of respect and appreciation for people who get into this game, so to speak, and they do well financially and they make a bunch of money and they're popular and they're able to travel the world and have all the experiences and, and then they kind of bow out. But for me, you know, it's always been kind of this sustainability thing of like, I'm gonna continue to do what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna experiment. I'm gonna mess around with, retro, with records like Retro Hash and elaborate on that a little bit with Flowers on the Weekend and work, uh, work on, uh, with musicians and uh, musicality and try to become a better songwriter and all those things. And, and, and perfect my craft, so to speak. But I also want to do it for 20, 25, 30, 35 years, you know? I hope that I'm making my best shit at 60, 65 years old. <laughs> I still want people to be like, yo, are you listening to what this fool is doing? It's really, really hard to do, you know, because we have to pay our bills. And, and obviously the way that the marketplace is, it's always like younger and hotter and sexier and all these things. And that stuff's always going to move the market. But if, it, you know, it's always been important to me to create uh, a foundation uh, uh, and a fan base uh, around doing what it is that I do. And to your point about the Dave Easts and the people who just do these things really well and they continue to do them, I think there's always going to be fans for that. Yeah. And, and you see that here. You have a hardcore audience. Dave East has a hardcore audience. Someone I think that blends the two very well is G Herbo because he's got that young mm -hmm. audience and he has that audience where 
OGs respect him because he'll have some tracks where he spits some bars. Yeah, it's tricky, you know, and I'm not overly familiar with, with G Herbo's uh, with discography, but the stuff that I hear, it's like, again, timing and uh, timing is everything, right? So it's mm -hmm. like, when I came up, it's early 2000s, we didn't have streaming, no. we didn't have some of these uh, tech, uh, technological apps that are that were available, YouTube really was just kind of like sprouting up. And so it's almost like, I'm not like jealous or anything like that, but it is like, damn, what if I Love College came out when Snapchat was out? You know what I mean? Or all of these things. It is it is so crazy that, but timing is everything. And so uh, these kids who have the opportunity to grow these enormous fan bases, um, you know, I hope they're taking advantage of it mm -hmm. for sure. I've also heard you speak about the numbers. The only thing that comes to mind when thinking about the numbers that makes it tricky is the fact that it's, these record companies take towards these records just because of the numbers, but we don't know. Are they just skimming through it? Cause I've heard you say the skim portion of it, if they're just skimming through it, that's not the way that record companies should really be going about it because it's a really a hot record. Yeah. You know, it's funny. There's like uh, that old interview with Frank Zappa when he's talking about like the old people with, that were just smoking cigars, chomping cigars and had no idea uh, about the music industry at all. And they're like, let's just go with it. You know what I mean? And he, he really appreciated that because there was a little bit of time for um, uh, just discovery and just like, who knows? Nobody knows. And I think that's really what's important about art in general is just like, it's so subjective. Like, who knows? Let's give people a chance. And so now with this kind of data-driven, uh, algorithmic, uh, you know, discovery stuff, everything's kind of dialed in. Yeah. And so there aren't that many risks being taken, which I think is why you're seeing a lot of the music sound similar is because if this works, then we're going to continue to just milk it and, and use this until nobody wants it anymore. And the data will tell us when they don't want it anymore. And so that's what's nice about the Griseldas of the world and the Davies of the world. Uh, and someone like myself is that you would hope that we're kind of on our you know soapbox for whatever it's worth of saying like, trust, you know, don't trust the data. People want something else. You know, they're just clicking on this stuff maybe because, you know, it's being it's being forced for them to click on. So, you know, the numbers are a tricky game for sure, specifically right now. And I'm learning as I go, I'm continuing to always learn, but I really do think authenticity reigns supreme. And I hope that there's like, you know, new leadership coming into these, these uh, businesses that are kind of the ones that help push the message. I'm, I'm hoping that there's people that take on the role that are, are down to give people a chance. I mean, Tunji, my buddy Tunji, who just took over uh, Def Jam. Uh, and was somebody kind of instrumental, somebody I've known for a while. He comes from being a rapper, you know, he was in a rap group and that dude just has a good ear. And so there are people coming up that are our age that I think that are, are going to take more risks, hopefully, hopefully. I hope so, especially for your case in real rappers who are serious about their craft, as I keep going back to that word craft, is being an MC in this game. I think, I think you're going to start seeing some changes soon here. But I want to take things back to the beginning and just tell me about, your life of growing up in Morrisville, Pennsylvania. Quiet, man. Baseball, dude. Yeah. I mean, if, if you had to say, you know, one word that that was for me with Morrisville was just baseball. And, you know, it was when I started to get older and, you know, these kids that when they're 16 years old, they're suddenly 6'4", hitting balls 300, 400 feet. You're just like, yeah, dude, I'm probably not going to be a baseball player. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, music crept in and it was another thing, but... Yeah, uh, growing up right outside Philadelphia, I'm now back in Philly. Uh, and obviously everyone is kind of up in arms when they find out that I'm not an Eagles or a Phillies fan. 
I will take the train down and go watch Phillies baseball though. Um, you know, just cause citizen citizens bank is a, is a great park, uh, and just sitting up there up high and, and checking out the skyline is a beautiful thing. But, uh, here in Philadelphia now grew up about 30 minutes North in Morrisville and bopped around for a little bit. But at the end of the day, Morrisville put me on to baseball. Morrisville, you put it on the map, doing great things out there. You're going back there. It's great how you went back to where you came from because most rappers nowadays, you know, especially in certain situations like you have with Nipsey, it's always interesting to see rappers go back. And then that tragic situation that happened with Nipsey, it's just, you, there's always a complicated thing that happens with certain people. And, you know, that's just what comes with being a rapper, unfortunately, and being successful too. Well, you're right. I mean, they talked about it, I think, about Kyle Lowry coming back to Philadelphia. Um, Might have been Kyle. I can't remember. Um, but basically talking about how sometimes it's really important for these kids to get out of their neighborhoods. Yeah. You know, because, you know, their neighborhoods and their surroundings could be tumultuous. And, you know, and sometimes it's good to get a away from some of these areas that, you know, might try to pull you back to just, you know, being rambunctious. And so, uh, you know, specifically Philly, man, too. So Philly, you know, is a black city. It's neglected. It's, it's one of the poor cities in America. So we've got a lot of work to do. But that was also one of the things that like coming back here, there's not a tremendous amount to do in Philadelphia. There's not the music industry isn't in Philadelphia. There's all types of ridiculously talented musicians. There's uh, uh, amazing songwriters and, and, you know, obviously the roots from here, uh, big shout out to them and, and a big shout out to like, you know, G Love and the Special Sauce. There's, there's so many and, and, you know, we were fortunate enough to actually build an outdoor venue right by my place called Sunflower Philly mm -hmm. to help, uh, you know, perpetuate and, and encourage live performance, even for people who are already established, but for also younger kids who just want to start performing and, you know, can't necessarily get into underground arts or, you know, might not be ready for the TLA or anything like that. And so that was something really important to me. But coming back to Philly was kind of counterintuitive because you, a lot of people just are too big to be here. You know, you go to Atlanta or you go to L.A. and that's pretty much it. Um, and so coming back to Philly was more about, you know, helping cultivate and, and, and be a part of the scene here because dumb, talented people and just being closer to family was important to me. So. And you're here, you're. you're you're not a Eagles fan, but I have seen you wear your Randall Cunningham jersey in the summertime music videos. You still, you gotta, you, even, you even, even though you're not a fan, it. you represent it. For sure, man. I mean, look, we even got, we even got the one and only, you know, Princess Diana in the, in the Eagles the Eagle jacket. jacket. You know? So, you know, I, I, I obviously want to see the, the Eagles do well. The first year I got back, the Eagles actually won the Super Bowl. So that was really fun. I was, I was joking and telling everybody I was good luck and everything like that, but um, you know, and we went out and celebrated and I, I do root for the, the Philadelphia uh, 76ers and I do root for the Philadelphia Flyers uh, mainly because the Niners and the, uh, the San Francisco giants uh, are from my father. My dad is a West coast kid who raised me and just basically was like, all right, son, it's Bill Walsh is the man. And Willie Mays is the man, you know what I mean? And the rest is on you. And so, you know, I've had some fun growing up, but, um, you know, being back in Philly, and I, I like to think that like the, the, the sports fandom in Philadelphia is still the same in me. It's just transferred over to different teams. And so 
I'm enjoying it right now. I can't, I can't lie. Yeah, no, for sure. I want to get into your time. I believe it's Westchester college because you were pursuing your degree in elementary education. Yep. Yeah, man. Uh, Westchester university for sure. That's again, kind of a, the, uh, you know, it's not Penn state, you know, and that was the funny thing, just like being at, uh, went to Pennsbury high school and just everybody went to Penn state. And so I didn't really want to go there. Uh, and so I stayed around and Westchester has an amazing education program. I, I kind of always knew I felt like I wanted to be a teacher and specifically elementary school teacher because, you know, just patience with those kids, uh, hanging out with them at a, at a young, formidable age is fun. Maybe, you know, high school could be fun too. And, and even in the, uh, the uh, Greenhouse Effect Volume 3, I take on the role of the professor. Um, so who knows, one of these days, if I, if I actually really do go back to school and get that that master's degree. Um, I need my bachelor's too, man. I didn't even graduate. I dropped out. <laughs> I dropped out to do rap music. Do not be like me. Um, but yeah, man, Westchester University was was a short stint, but again, um, had so much fun just being there and and just like again, social intelligence, learning about people, um, making friends, rapping in basements, having some of my first performances. You know, in for what it's worth, obviously the business of college is a real thing. And we could have an entire conversation around that, around you know what college is and what it's becoming. Um, but I do think that there's a, a, a very uh, amazing time in people's lives that 18 to 22, 18 to 25, that little window of, of making mistakes, um, you know, even though it's a forever process, learning about yourself, learning who you are, failing, you know what I mean? So. Uh, and just getting out, getting out there on your own. Um, you know, I, I am a kind of a believer in a gap year. I do think that, you know, it's a little early to be starting school and kind of um, thinking that kids should know what they want to do with their lives at that, at that time. But, um, you know, getting there, knowing that there was an education program that I was pursuing at the time, uh, knowing that I could always go back was kind of a reason why I left. Mm -hmm. um, when I got the opportunity to go down to Atlanta, um, it was one of those things where I was like, you know what, I can always come back here, but I have, I have nothing but, um, you know, good emotions and, and feelings when I think about Westchester and, and think about the time I spent there. You brought up an interesting word, failures, and not everyone admits the, their failures that they've had throughout their career. What's a failure that you've had even before you started rap, or even if you want to bring it up, what you had during your career in your rap career, if you had a failure that mm. you turned into a success? Yeah, I think it, it would be, uh, you know, a lot of the time, I think for me, I just didn't, I blindly trusted people and not in a bad way, but I just kind of like, especially when the business was going on. And again, because of the tools that are available to us, I didn't ask enough questions and I didn't kind of like stand up for myself when I was younger. I kind of just like went with it. Uh, you know, growing up being kind of non-confrontational as it is. I mean, I'm, I'm the baby of three. So I have two older sisters and then me. And so being the only boy, my, your, your father's only son, uh, your mom, your mom's only, only son, you kind of like are in a good spot. You know what I'm saying? You're in, you're in a good spot. And so, you know, when I got into a space uh, where life got real, so to speak, um, and confrontation became a thing, I kind of wouldn't stick up for myself as much. I would just be like, eh, whatever. Let me just, let's just let that happen. And I think that quality, now that I've, as an adult, I've become a little bit more like, here's what I, 
here's what I would like to see happen. Like, I'm not, um, I'm not, I don't avoid confrontation anymore because it doesn't necessarily need to be conversation, uh, a confrontation. It just needs to be a conversation. And so working out how you feel and all of those things, they're all important parts. And so growing up, I, I think this is probably relatable for a lot of people is avoiding those awkward conversations. And then it turns into something it doesn't need to be. So my failures, what I would describe as failures or just kind of like, you know, instances that I wish I had that one back was when I just didn't stand up for myself. But, you know, as I got older and in some of those crunch time moments when I did say, this is what I want to do, it might have not worked out in my favor right then and there. But now it's now I'm in a position, even though I kind of had to venture out on my own right now, I'm in probably the best position I've ever been in my career to kind of just like steer my own ship and make my own decisions. And I stood up for myself in, in times when typically I wouldn't have. And because of that, now I have just a little bit more control over, over what it is that I'm trying to do. And that's great to hear that you actually found that way to gain control over what you're, you're doing and especially moving forward in, in your career. I'm curious to know when it was that you really fell in love with hip hop. I know, you, as I mentioned before, you've cited Eminem and Jay-Z as major influences because I believe your first CD that you bought was the Dave Matthews Band CD. <laughs> yeah, bro, you're pulling out the, the greatest hits right here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, man, like, you know, again, growing up in like a, you know, white suburban uh, household, there was, you know, they, we had Stevie Wonder and all and these kind of things. The Temptations and, was played yeah, in your house. Yeah. My dad was a Bruce Springsteen guy. I think the best, the best response to that is I, I wish I was a Bruce Springsteen guy. I wasn't really. And then just obviously the era of us growing up. So like, you know, those early um, cassette tapes that you're buying. But like, I think the first cassette that I had was actually Busta Rhymes, When Disaster Strikes. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, because, but again, like even when I'm even listening to Equemini when I, when I was young, the When Disaster Strikes album, uh, you know, listening to some of these records that like, I had two moments with them. I had them very early on because of like, you know, Rosa Parks and Skew It on the Barbie. But then like, you re-listen to it again at a certain era and a certain age and you go, this is unreal. I don't even care. Like, again, it comes to the B-sides. Uh, you know, I remember my boy, Sean O'Neill, who was really big in my uh, upcoming of uh, rap music. And he was trying to put me on a Nas, but I was never really super Nas guy. You know what I mean? But him trying to put me onto Nas and our love for Wu-Tang Clan and, and sharing our love for Wu-Tang Clan and like me playing the song dog shit over and over again and like stuff like this. And, and so like, you know, that it's not like a specific moment in time. It's just kind of this like era of coming of age of like, you know, 11, 12, 13, you know, even maybe 10 uh, when you're starting to make your own decisions and you're starting to discover these things on your own and you're starting to take things that aren't necessarily in the house anymore. Like, you're, you're buying your own CDs and not necessarily just listening to what your parents had. You know, I, I, I credit my parents because they did have music and music was on, but you know, my mom's listening to like classical music, you know, and you know, my dad was more into writing than he was into listening. And, you know, because of that, it made me who I am because I, I took some of that literature writing prowess that he was more into uh, and then, you know, my mom coming from a jazz background, my grandfather was a, a, a jazz trumpet player and, and pianist. And like, you know, that performance aspect and taking that writing and that performing and, and putting it together. But 
from for the most part again two older sisters who one was like way more into like the alt grunge like uh indie scene and then uh another one the oldest who was into like boy bands and and pop music and you know like tevin campbell and stuff and so like i was on my own for the most part and so yeah like the music discovery at 11 to 12 13 when you're making your own decisions and the friends that you have around you those are all the things that really played a huge role in me uh you know falling in love with hip-hop the rhythm uh the you know the expression of this is what's going on in the world and this is how i feel about it and it being pretty poignant um the fact that you could kind of make all these words rhyme the, the mathematics to it all you know and then hearing you know, Wu-Tang in that era, talk about mathematics and science. You have all of these things baked into just like one culture and one conversation. And so, you know, hip hop culture to me uh, has been very formidable from the knowledge standpoint, the knowledge of self, um, you know, the knowledge of and knowing what's going on around you, the community side of things, the, the dancing, um, all of that stuff is is just as important to me as the expression and so i'm i fall in love with it kind of more and more every day like doing finding out about artists that i had no idea that someone was like yo this kind of sounds like this person and i'll go back and like you know listen to dr octagon and just be like yo what the cool fuck? key you know? yeah exactly and so it's just like you know that's what's so fun you know hip-hop's obviously one of the younger genres of music but like you know there's so much there man i mean again sampling it's been tricky because you know after the the paul's boutique and the sampling of the Easy rolling push. stones yeah like you know sampling and changing of the copyright and all that stuff has changed but sampling was so dope because you'd hear a song and then you'd get to learn about this original song that got sampled and so again um to nerd out a little bit it's just so special for so many different reasons just think about Big Papa when they sampled the Isley Brothers with that record. What? Between the I mean? sheets. And, it's crazy. And then if you don't know who the Isley Brothers are, and then you hear that record, like, oh, I love the song. And someone goes, oh, you ever heard the original? And like, oh, you then, and now you've just gone on a whole another route to like go through a whole Isley Brothers discography. And it's just like, it's special, man. And important, important. It is. And it's great that you are suiting the game and know, knowing about Cool Keith and Dr. Octagon because of the many personalities that he took on. He's, He's to me, he's the Stephen King of rap in a way, because MF Doom, he was always the, the villain in hip hop. He had his own character. Cool Keith had these personalities where he was like the, the king of horror hip hop, which is horrorcore. Bro, and those guys would thrive right now. You know what I mean? With the opportunity right now with these like kind of new avatars and what's happening in the NFT space and, you know, being able to reinvent yourself in so many different forms. I mean, that is so inspiring. And something that, again, I look to do, I hope I'm doing that. Like, you know, if I'm, if I'm living long enough, you know, getting to those moments and getting to a space where I feel comfortable enough to say, let's switch this up. But, you know, being fans and, of, uh, of comic books and seeing how these, these character developments and all those things, I mean, special. Cool Keith, MF Doom, who you just named, those guys have like, they have their own little story that's going on. And like, that's so, that's so fun and shouldn't be taken for granted. No, and you look back at it with MF Doom started out as Zev Love X. Yep. With 
KMD and then Cool Keith with the ultra magnetic MCs, despite everything he did in his solo career, it's always it's always interesting to see how they just completely changed their profiles. And man, those are two of the most underrated when it comes to just being brought up in top tens and stuff that should be mentioned a lot more. Absolutely. And but like, you know, it's interesting, like the cyclical stuff that you're that we were talking about earlier, like slowly but surely it's trickling in that people are recognizing the greatness, you know, yeah. and so uh, it might take time. But that's kind of one of the reasons a lot of the time I'm, I'm kind of talking about being patient with these things, because, you know, we've grown up in an era where a, a lot of uh, these successes, they're rather instantaneous, even if it's just likes and retweets, you know, however you classify, you know, your your wins we're getting those things rather and we daddy I want it and I want it right now but it's it's really fun to still see some of this uh you know MF Doom and, and that world be part of like adult swim you know what yeah. I mean and so uh, being patient with the process and allowing things come to you is, is is an important mantra for me and seeing it from all of these kind of uh MCs from before that maybe were considered underground but now you know they're one of the first rappers out of these kids' mouths of being like, that's what I listen to. Yeah. <laughs> we bring up MF Doom when he was Dev Love X. His first, one of his first songs, too, that I remember him being featured on was Third Base's Gas Face. And I've heard mm -hmm. you bring up Third Base before and paying homage because those were the white rappers that paved the way for Eminem and such as yourself. What does it mean to be a part of that category of being a respected hip-hop MC who is white? I mean, you know, uh, regardless of race, you just yeah. want to contribute, right? And so, like, you know, Dante Ross is the one that really kind of put me onto that world. And just like, you know, whether he knows it or not was just kind of like, you know, again, knowledge yourself, stay sharp, know, know who came before you. And, and again, to tie sports into this, George Kittle has been big on this too with the 49ers of like, yo, we stand on legend's shoulders. And like, you know, I'm not here without people that have come before me, whether it's third base or, or whether it's Eminem or other white rappers, but also other rappers that I've jacked little things from like Kwali in, in the Black Star album and learned, he, he taught me so much how to rap. And so like uh, Black Thought, you know, these are, these are guys that I've listened to and studied and been like, damn, you know, and then you, over time, you just slowly start to make it your own and it becomes your own thing. And so I think most importantly, you know, especially as we get into a space where, you know, white rappers might actually be a little bit more common. You just want to make sure that you're contributing and coming from a space of like respect, love and appreciation that this is, you know, this is a, a culture for, for yeah. a lack of better words. This is this is something that you want to be contributing towards and not necessarily just stealing from because it shouldn't be an ego trip. It's really it's really not about me at all. I'm just I'm just kind of the messenger, you know what I mean? And and honing in my craft to make sure that I'm delivering kind of the best message that I can I can deliver. <laughs> and you've sure have done that throughout your career and continue to do that. MySpace, you were dropping all your verses on MySpace. You connect with Scooter Braun. What was that conversation that you had with him through MySpace that he was able to fly you down in a week and then all of a sudden he signed you signed <laughs> with him and he's your manager? What was that conversation that you had that really just blew him away to, for him to take you under his wing? Um you know, I, don't, I remember chopping with Scooter and, and he had sent me over um, an article and he was with, I can't remember if it was like Big Boy from Outcast and Ashton Kutcher and he was kind of already in Atlanta and he was- I think he was under a, So Deaf. Yeah, So So Deaf, so, so yeah. yeah. So he was, you know, he was in the scene. 
And I think, you know, when you're a young impressionable kid and people are sending you pictures of them in the scene and like, you can do this too. You're just like, yo, all right. Um, and it's, it's not to say that um, Scooter isn't uh, like a, a hip hop head. It's just that he uh, is very focused on other things. You know what I mean? So we didn't have this huge conversation about like music and being on the, you know, oh, we listen to the same stuff. It was just more like, hey man, I wanna, I wanna be a part of what you're doing. It was more rooted in family. I had a, I had a joint called Family Man um, that was just about, again, coming from a family and more so playing baseball. Two older sisters, my parents, luckily, are still together. They thugged it out. Um, and so when I, when I wrote about that and I put it on MySpace, he heard that he has a tattoo family on his wrist, and so it kind of just, you know, he's one of those synchronicity dudes. Um, and things happened that night. Obviously, it's, it's his story to tell on why he reached out to me. But, uh, it, you know, it's just one of those things. Again, here's an opportunity. Say yes to it. I can always go back to school. You know what I mean? Let's see what happens. And so it was just one of those say yes theory moments where you just say yes to it, get yourself down to Atlanta, rap for Shaka Zulu, Ludacris's manager, you know, hanging out with Tricky Stort in the dream and just being, getting through the door, meeting people, uh, ultimately settling in with Steve Rifkin and Loud, which, you know, was uh, a, a lot of fun. I remember him him laughing about, if you ever would have told me I'd be signing a, a white rapper called, named Asher Roth, you know, I'd be laughing at you. But when you, <laughs> when you talk about pun, when you talk about Pharaoh Monch, like when you talk about, you know, some of my favorite MCs, Mob Deep, I mean, again, Wu-Tang, obviously, like Steve's responsible for, for all that stuff. Uh, or at least, you know, partly responsible. Loud records. Stuff. Loud records. You got it, man. And so it was uh, it was very fun to be with Steve. And, you know, he would be another person that'd be fun to talk to about his experience and uh, and us working together. But, you know, it was relatively short lived because of the restructuring of Universal and what was going on over there. So Sleep in the Bread Isle was actually the only only album that I that I was able to, to put out with, with Steve and Scooter. And he pushes the carriage in which you were sitting in it at that time in the music video for Roth Boys. You got it, man. And Steve's a blast. I mean, he can laugh at his own joke and he understands how fortunate he is. He's had some health scares along the way that makes him really appreciate life. And I think like whenever you're working with people who appreciate, you know, how resilient yet how fragile life is, uh, you, you can have some fun and take some chances, you know? Yeah. But I mean, you you put out incredible records throughout your career, and especially I love college. Do you ever get tired of people bringing that up? Because I've heard Nas say about Illmatic, he's so tired of hearing that because that's what he's known for. And you got when Nas, the It Was Written, the Stillmatics. Do you ever get tired of when people bring, constantly bring up I Love College? Because that is the record that puts you on the map. But as I said before, I always, my definition of you is the Greenhouse Effect Volumes. Well, shit, man, I'll trade Nas, I love college for Illmatic. How about oh, that? <laughs> uh, but uh, you know what, man? For a while, you know, I was I I was bummed out about it for for not like bummed, but it was just so polarizing. And so, like, you know, you do you'd go and do a show, and maybe 75% of that audience only wants to hear I love college. You know, but it also presented presented me with my like the real challenge of, of of a career of my career of like you know getting people to go along uh for the ride and not just you know let's funnel beer and you know chant do something crazy um 
it, it taught me so much, you know, it taught me so much about myself. It taught me so much about uh, the music uh, game and entertain, entertainment industry. I, I learned so much by that being kind of like this focal point of, of, of a career. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'll never forget, I, I was a, a Peter Rosenberg show out in Austin, Texas. And, you know, I was really done with I Love College at the point. And I had like kind of moved on and wanted to like focus on grind, that single grind and kind of just this more, you know, upbeat, um, you know, just music that was something else. Something else. And, but, you know, I, I knew the responsibility that I had to like shut up and play the hits kind of vibe. And, and we're in Texas and I Love College comes on and just people start climbing on each other's shoulders. And there's, you know, they, you know, just having a great time. And again, it's so it's not about me, right? Yeah. And I think I think it's important to remember that. And so, you know, I love college means a lot of different things to me. Uh, but ultimately, you know, it's a great foundation coming from a place of like, you know, carefree, having some fun, a great moment in time, and just hopefully that an audience is willing to build off of that rather than just stay there. And so it's been tricky, I can't lie. And I think that's probably why a lot of artists like really hate their biggest hit. Um, but, you know, as I reflect on my career, I, I can't say it's a bad thing. I think it's, it's given me a very unique character in the rap world. Uh, you know, I think it's a great starting point when someone goes, oh, Asher Roth, he's that Isle of College kid. Cool, like what's he up to now? And I just have to be able to make sure that I have an answer to that question. Um, but, you know, for the most part, audiences are going to move on for the most part. And so if you're lucky enough to have a 10 year, 15, 20 year career and you have an audience that's following you around and, 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 and tuning into what you're doing, you know, you just hope that your, your, your music and, and what you're doing is just getting you know, better. Mm -hmm. and so I, I feel like that's I feel like that's what I'm doing, you know. A hundred percent. You're still going strong with your music and the fan base is dedicated to hardcore fan base, the diehards that you have. Did any party movies as far as because Pursuit of Happiness with Pro Project X came out. Did mm -hmm. anyone from Project X or any other party movies around that time reach out to you and using your song a part of their movie? Well, um, Jesse Marco is my homie. Big shout out to Jesse Marco, who is the DJ in Project X. Uh, you know, I will say that Quest Love reached out for the Amy Schumer show to use Lark on My Go-Kart as the opening uh, credits and Universal Music because they own the publishing to uh, to Sleep in the Bread Isle, gave them some astronomical number. And so they just ended up doing an interpolation. So if you go back and you watch Amy Schumer's uh, show and you listen to the opening credit song, it's going to sound eerily similar like Lark on My Go-Kart, but it isn't. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I love college was its own beast, you know, so uh, I know that we got to uh, be by myself and cabin in the woods, you know, that was a funny moment. That was probably the first time I'd heard my, my music in a movie. Um, and that's kind of addicting, you know, you kind of want to you do want to be uh, you do want your music to be kind of a, a fabric of, of scenes and uh, of people's lives for sure. And, and it's amazing. That's history right there. You being in a horror movie, your music being featured in a horror movie, a big time one right. in which people look back on in the cabin of the woods is how the horror community is kind of bracing the hip hop community in a way, because in the new Scream movie, they had a DJ Khaled song in there, which oh, I was wow. surprised about. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how it's working nowadays. I mean, that is it is kind of a insulated, insular, you know, there's two things going on. Some people are just trying to get 
all but free music licensed because uh, licensing music can be a, a freaking pain in the ass. Yeah. Uh, but then also sometimes you do want to make sure you're, you're, you can either maybe break a record or introduce a song. You see it at the end of episodes on HBO or, uh, you know, some of those times, uh, some of those shows uh, because TV has become uh, such, a, such a monster that sometimes records are getting broken at the beginning or the end or in those, in those music uh, in those episodes um and then yeah like you're saying with scream these big maybe you just want to get a very obvious um artist to, to be a part of it um i haven't i haven't seen the new scream is is it out yet sorry to ask it, it, it's out i just went this past saturday night for opening weekend and i i'll admit i was paranoid with the whole covid thing going on out here with omicron and <laughs> But I went, I had to go see it because I'm a diehard horror Scream fan. And the movie, I, I would highly recommend it if you're a horror Scream fan. I'll tell you that. Now, what would be your top, not to switch the tables right now on an interview, but what would be your top horror movie? Because horror movies, good horror movies, a lot like hip hop music. You know what I mean? It's been hard to make a good horror movie lately. Yeah. Do you have one that you would say, hey, man, I'm, I'm really impressed with this horror movie in the new, in the new age? Mm. That's tough. I'll give you one. I think it's from 2012 or 2013. If I were to highly recommend it to someone, I would say Sinister. Okay. Is that that? Is that Ari with the same dude that did Midsummer? I no, that's Hereditary. But I would Hereditary, recommend Hereditary, Hereditary too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I really loved Hereditary and Midsummer. I, I did a kick back and forth. I, and I thought I forget his name off the top. Ari Aster. Ari Aster. Yeah. Yeah. He's a beast, man. He is. I really appreciated his kind of spin on things, but again, he's, I think from my understanding, a student of the game, a student yeah. of the horror world and really into it. And so, you know, growing up for me, the, the, the slasher films and stuff, getting to them, I, I really enjoyed Pet Cemetery. Did you mm, ever Stephen see King. Pet Cemetery? Yep. That was a beast of a horror movie that kind of spooked me for a little bit. And uh, they've been given, you know, Chucky scared the hell out of me, but they, he's child's play has been getting a good run. It's, it's, with the new Chucky series too. It, it, it's stuck around for sure. They've been, they've been having some fun with that, but it's cool to hear that you're, you're, a, you're a horror guy. Yeah, man. A hundred percent. Night of the living dead. 1968 is actually an interesting movie, important film, not only for their first black lead in a role, but Griselda samples Night of the Living Dead and their music and Benny the Butcher specifically in Tana Talk 3. If you go and listen to some of the records, They're Coming to Get You is referenced in some of those songs. Cool. I'm going to check that out. 1968 Night of the Living Dead. I did not know that. That was, yeah. that was the, uh, the first black lead in a horror film in general. I, be I, I believe that was. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Dwayne Jones. Yeah. Wow. Fun, dude. Very fun. Huge, huge stuff. I want to get back to your career and just reading things online that you had a record with the game I read about. That was oh, yeah. To, yeah. Uh, there's a few things. I mean, the game and I had a, had a few conversations um, just being out in L.A. for a little bit in the same place, same time. I think we ended up putting something out um, called White Soft Porn, mm -hmm. um, which is out out there for those who want to dig through the catacombs. And there was a, a, slip, a Splish Splash record that game featured on with Pharrell that never came out. The Pharrell stuff, uh, you know, was a lot of fun. I wish we would have taken a, a, a few more risks. Um, but just, you know, again, Pharrell taught me just so much about, like, approach to the game. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, again, to tie it back into sports, uh, Brandon Ayuk earlier in the year with the, with the 49ers mm -hmm. was what people were calling in Kyle Shanahan's doghouse. 
And, you know, and as a second year wide receiver, he's like kind of learning how to be a pro and what you have to do, you know, and that kind of block and like, you know, even the plays that you're not involved, you know, you still gotta, you still gotta play. And so I had a similar experience with Pharrell. He kind of like, you know, really was, was, was talking me through the things I got to do to be a pro. Um, and, uh, you know, one of those things obviously was putting together a, a, an, a more obvious record when I wanted to go a little bit more abstract. And uh, that was the joint with the game, with the game on it that we're talking about. Who, who bodied that, that verse, by the way, but the world may never know. Oh, what doesn't the game body? I mean, for the game, the game has always been underrated to me. He doesn't get enough praise. I mean, you look at the documentary, people call that a classic album, but the documentary too was a banger. The Red Album, Doctor's Advocate, his yeah. new song with Kanye West that he just released, Easy. Yeah, you're right, man. I think the game might be uh, underappreciated. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, iconic uh, cover art. Yeah. Can't sleep on iconic cover art, you know, no. definitely something that you can, you can picture right away. Um, and, but again, talk about hunger, man. He kept his hunger, you know? Yeah. And, and you bring up the term hunger. That's exactly where I feel as though rappers lose throughout their careers. And I brought this up in another interview I did a while back, I think in September with another artist and which we brought that up where you hear that some of these real rappers, when they come in here, I'll give you a great example with Davies. Hate me now, hate me now. That's like, that's what the pinnacle of Davies was for me. But then when you look at Hoffa, I feel as though he lost that edge that he had. And I think it's when you, you finally get in the game, you break through barriers, you get comfortable. And I feel as though you have to go through something in which you could find your way back to that place that you were. Because that's the thing as an artist, I feel as though you lose your footing in this game. And you that's have to find your way back. Yeah, that's interesting. Interesting you say that because, you know, for me, a, a lot of the times we're like, you know, my delivery got a little bit uh, more nonchalant, you know, when you listen to Flowers on the Weekend yeah. um, and you're listening to not necessarily the opening track, but maybe the, the title track, Flowers on the Weekend, you know, I'm kind of chilling. And even a lot of that stuff, I would, uh, I would equate it to just being older and getting older and not like almost just like not even having the energy to like yell <laughs> on the microphone anymore. Um, but, you know, uh, I agree for sure. But I would also say like, you know, there's something kind of nice about getting older. I'm, you know, being young, this is kind of specific to performance in general. You know, if I watch back some of those performances, I'm just jumping around yelling into a microphone. You know what I mean? Not really having any understanding of what a performance is supposed to be like, or, you know, what a microphone is there for, you know? And so as I've gotten older and kind of toned things down a little bit, you start to find this nice balance. But, you know, to your point, it, it may be artist specific. And there are some things where I would, I would say that some rappers just get lazy, you know what I mean? And artists in general, it's not specific to rap. Sometimes people just get freaking lazy. Maybe what they're putting out is just a contractual obligation, like who knows? Um, and, you know, I would even use Nas as an example, like, you know, for what it's worth, what you're talking about getting back to somewhere I think Nas has gone through a bunch of stuff and now is back, has gotten back to what everyone's like, yes, this is why I'm- Magic. Oh my, that first track, Speechless. You know what I mean? So it's like that that journey, essentially the hero's journey, if you will, like that is kind of uh, what it's all about. And, you know, I think it comes with time. I think a lot happens to you as an artist. Again, the EP Gray that I'm, I'm going to put out, it's like, it's so much about that. It's so much about like, you know, being hopeless 
And, and I think we go through that as, as artists, with, regardless of the level of success that you're in, I think you get to a point along the way where you're just like, what am I doing? Like, what am I supposed to be doing? Like, I'm not even any good, blah, blah. And then, you know, down the line, you, whether you meet somebody or you have a dream or something happens and just goes, yo, I got this. Like, let me, let me be reinvigorated. And so there's, there's beauty in it all, man. There's beauty in a little bit of like, you know, uh, being as sharp as you've ever been. Uh, and then having to go through the struggle of rediscovering that sharpness. You're a big sports guy, last man standing with Akon making yeah, Madden 12. Oh yeah, bro. That was a big moment for me too, yeah. man. Uh, being in, in Madden 12. And again, I was, I was fortunate for that because those recordings were in kind of this no man's land when I like really wasn't working with universal and, we, but they like, those recordings were still happening under that contract. And so I was fortunate because again, last man standing never ended up on an album or anything like that, but our friends over at EA sports were just like, yo, we'll got this, we'll throw this in Madden. And so, you know, it was able to find a home at a time when I was homeless. Yeah. And that's a major achievement. Another one that I want to get into is, was the work that you were talking about years ago with Pete Rock, Peter Rock. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, dude, I got to get back to those two. Like uh, Pete and I just really hit it off when we were in the studio together and he sent me a batch that I loved and worked on some stuff. But again, like, you know, I don't think uh, the average listener uh, or casual music fan, if you will, understands how hard it is to bring stuff to fruition. Yeah. And so, you know, great intentions and, and, and Pete and I, uh, you know, have a nice little batch of things that we got started, but there's just so much that goes into getting that thing across the finish line. So, you know, hopefully one day, especially with where I'm at now, sonically, you know, getting back to just stuff that really uh, jazzes me up and stuff that just making music that I like, not necessarily worried about, you know, a board of directors liking it. Um, I'm in a really good place that I, I think a, a Pete Rock, Asher Roth uh, collaboration would, would, would fit right in right now. Yeah, 100%. It would be great for hip hop. 2009 double XL cover all add up. You mentioned that on your newest one of your newest songs. That was tough. I, I really enjoyed that song. I feel as though that you're in a positive space. And what was it throughout your career that made you because I, I feel that with you becoming more positive and just in yourself as a person meditating. I've noticed that in some of your recent music videos as well. What was it that you went through that you kind of had to visualize yourself outside of the body in order to change and just be more positive and just promote positive for everybody? Well, shit, man, I, I was in an interesting space because, you know, I wasn't an, I wasn't a superstar, but I was big enough to not have to go get a regular job. And so I had time. And when you have time, um, you have time to think and reflect. And it's a really scary, I guess, for the for lack of better words, place to be. Uh, and you kind of have to make it up for yourself. And so you've got to define and have your own definitions of success. And you really have to spend some time with yourself. No one's telling you where to be. No one's really telling you what to do. And so you have this time to reflect on what it is that you want to do. And, you know, ultimately just, you know, the makeup of who I am as a person, I'm a relatively positive person. Uh, I'm a happy person. I'm an appreciative of, of, of like kind of the small things. I mean, with Greenhouse Effect Volume 3, it's all about kind of nature, our relationship with it, uh, animals, um, things like that. Those are kind of things that are, are important to me. A nice meal, 
Uh, and so having the time to reflect on all that stuff and, and really know in my heart of all hearts that it was important to me kind of helped move me forward. And, you know, all that up is, again, just kind of a reflection of going through that doubt, like I thought we was done for real, it was over with, you know, um, this, this game, the entertainment, maybe I got to go get a job or something, you know, but then rediscovering that love and rediscovering on why you even started doing this in the first place. And like, you know, it's, it's important not to lose that because that's why someone like a Scooter Braun or a Steve Rifkin would be interested in me in the first place is kind of this, this magic that I'm portraying just through the fact of just like, I was going to do this anyway, whether I was signed or not, this is what I do. And this is who I am. And so knowing that about myself um, allows me to be relatively positive through the whole experience, because I've had the opportunity to uh, have those conversations and really understand uh, who I am. Like Jigga, my game is mental, as Big Pun said on parental discretion. That's something that you had to overcome and mention it in when it all add up, is that you can't worry about other people's numbers in their music. You can't worry about that. You have to focus on yourself. And that's something that I had to even realize in my career, just things that I, I went through in real negative year last year in 2020, 20, uh, 2021, 2022, there's just this different energy. And I feel as though your track was on right in timing with what I was going through and changing my whole mind frame and becoming more positive and all add up really inspired me as a listener of you. I, I love to hear that. And I've actually gotten that compliment a few times of people talking about the timing of that record yeah. that they actually needed to hear that. And so again, one, that's why, we, why we're doing what we're doing. You hope you kind of sync up with that. But it's also, you know, important to like not get um, in a space where you're like false positive, you know what I mean? <laughs> or just like, you know, where you're just like, I've got to be positive. Like, there's the all encompassing, you know, spectrum of human emotion and the range ranges of human emotions. It's like, you know, again, what I was talking about with Jimmy Garoppolo and the what he makes you feel, he makes you feel complete, utter frustration, and then pure bliss, you know what I mean? It's like, this is, uh, it's, it's, it's similar, man, when you're creating like, you know, like you and I do, um, and you have all of everybody else's shit is in front of your face all the time. And so it's impossible not to compare yourself to other people and not to compare yourself to other people's successes you know and that's what i really try to remind myself and remind my listeners to like from a meditation standpoint whatever you want to call it, it you know we use the word meditation because that's what we've been told it's called but it's just tuning out that other shit man tuning out all everybody else's shit that is just in our faces all the time and really centering in and, and focusing in on what you've got going on what you can control all those things, politics specifically, federal and national politics is just fucking theater. And it's got everybody freaking out and yelling at each other when really they should be focusing on what they can control, what's going on in their own backyard, in their community, city council meetings, all those things. And so I, I don't want to go too far down that road, but it's just like, <laughs> I agree with you, <laughs> but it's just those things. It's just like, we are so distracted and we have so many things that are almost basically designed for us to be paying attention to. Just recently, I, I, I tweeted out where, where attention goes, energy flows. And it's really freaking important like that people understand that what they're paying attention to is, what, is where your energy is going to go. And so people are vying for that energy all day and they have all the resources in the world to, to get that from you. And so 
you know, the importance of, you know, the reminders in Greenhouse Effect Volume 3 and, and in this conversation right now is for us to remind ourselves to just turn that stuff off, even if it's just for 15 minutes. Like, that's what's crazy. It doesn't need to be all day. No. You don't need to go on Vipassana and like on a three, four, five, seven day silent retreat. You just need to take 20 minutes and go, all right, I'm off my computer. I'm off my phone. I'm off this shit. How am I doing? Okay, cool. My shoulder's a little tight. You know what I mean? Let me chill for a second. Let me like get this out and take that time. And like, again, all add up those little incremental moments of taking those moments to just like be with yourself. They do, they add up and suddenly you're like, okay, I know who I am. Suddenly you're less reactive when someone's freaking you out, all of those things. And so, yeah, man, again, that was a bit of a tangent, but like it's that stuff to me is, is just dumb important. Yeah especially in serving as an inspiration for people going through difficult times because COVID-19 with Omicron and the surge now, we thought mm -hmm. months ago that we'd be out of the pandemic. We're still in it. People are going at each other's throats with wearing masks, vaccines and politics and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I just hope that we eventually get out of this. I mean, what is your thoughts on everything that we're going on through as far as the pandemic? Because I feel as though that the news as a whole has put the pandemic aside and where there's people still dying. You look at the cases in Omicron, it's worse now in the pandemic in certain statistics than it was when it first started. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's very real. And yeah. so what I would say is that there's a, I needed this as well, because being somebody who just does his own thing, you know, there was moments of, of selfishness where I'm going, I'm going to the, you know, I'm gonna go get a drink or, you know, <laughs> I'm going to go, go get a burger or whatever it may be. Uh, there's an, an incredible documentary, I believe it's on Hulu called The First Wave, and it documents kind of, I guess, March of 2020 all the way to maybe uh, July, March, April, May, June, July, yeah, about that first three months. Uh, and it's so humanizing. It goes just goes to show how real this all is. But, you know, this is, to me, a kind of a, a microcosm in cooperation uh, you know, uh, and, and a lot of uh, a really strong test in people's patience and problem solving. And you're seeing things like the supply chain and inflation. And, you know, you, you can pick any sector of, of, of this, um, you know, the, the pandemic and see how much stress it has put on us as a society. And so there's a there's so much that we can learn about ourselves and also so much that we can learn about this, this, what we call society, as far as, you know, bringing some of the work back home and, and, and creating and, and, and manufacturing here, you know, down the street, again, Philadelphia, moving back to Philadelphia and, and wanting to be somebody who can help bring industry here. You know, again, this is all just a microcosm for how much, you know, how off center we are again health insurance, right? Yeah. Again, like uh, um, just universal health insurance, you would think that the pandemic, that would be everything else go away. Let's just talk about that. Like not even that's not even the conversation we're talking about wearing masks. And like, what's what bothers me about that, and I get it. But the riling up of a, of a side of people about liberties, when it's a simple request to help other people, you would hope that people are just like no big deal, dog, I'll throw a mask on. It's not a big deal. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> let, I'll rock this. Let me make, let me protect myself and let me protect other people. Uh, now let's move on to something else. But we couldn't even get past level one, bro, as people. And like, again, as a collective, I was talking about this on um, my buddy, with my buddy, Nick and Truth Studios was like, I've had these moments in my life, experiences, if you will, 
that allowed me to understand that like you are me and I am you and you are a reflection of me and I'm a reflection of you and all these things that like it's it's more and speaking in the terms of like uh, of energy and you know when you're, you're removing your physical body from it all we're kind of like you know one big uh organism you know and that's what, how I feel about earth too it's just like we're one organism that needs to be working together and cooperating and so you know in, in different rounds of conversation we've talked about displacement theory that if you're just a, a spinning um you know molecule or whatever it may be and you take all of this oil from this part of the the organism and you move it over to the top of course it's going to start spinning a little bit differently just just a little bit and so that but th that idea of us collectively being in this. And I know MasterCard and these fucking credit cards use it as a slogan that we're all in this together. Mm -hmm. And that it almost cheapens the message of people understanding that we have a responsibility for one another. And somewhere along the lines that all got lost. And so like, you know, I tie this all back into sports and hip hop because one, the knowledge of self and rap music and, and rap music is a really, uh, um, appropriate conveyor of the message of that of of a collective of, of that we're all in this together and bill fucking belichick and the new England patriots of do your job you know what i mean yeah. you do your <laughs> job and we all work together we will win super bowls but somewhere along the lines man the coaching has just all been about you 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 uh me 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 and you can't blame them because people are essentially on like i gotta get mine i'm on some survival shit I got to get mine. And once I get mine, I'm out of here. And so like, you, you can't even be mad. And, and all of the criticisms and all this stuff about America right now, uh, the not trusting of the government, we've come by that pretty honestly, man. You know what I mean? Like, we've yeah. known the truth for a really long time. And we've just decided to turn, turn the other, turn a blind eye. And so it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the course of this year and next year. You know, if you look at it as a download, let's say we reset in 2020 you know, 2021, 2022, 2023 is really only the beginning of that download. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So we've got a whole download to go for the rest. And so hopefully by 2024, 2025, you know, we're starting to see some of the changes that we made being implemented. But, um, you know, it's been it's been frustrating, to say the least. And so I just I, 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 I conclude all that by saying it's very real uh, what we're going through. And I just people, I hope people at least understand that, you know. Flowers on the Weekend, Still Got Some was my favorite song off of the album. I think that mm. was the real hip hop track on there for me. What does it mean to you when you see in the comments and just what you hear from fans that this album inspired people and it saved their lives? Mm. Yeah, I mean, again, it's like you don't even, you don't even really know the weight of it, right? Yeah. Only they only they know the weight of it, like, you know, because words only convey so much, bro, you know, and so they know that like, hey, this record meant a lot to me and I throw this on and it gives me a deep breath. Um, you know, I've had those moments, obviously, with music, whether it be my own with a recording or something else that I've heard that just gives me goosebumps and makes me feel some type of way. I remember I was going through some shit and heard how I got over by the roots and that really helped me when I was getting on a flight and I felt very, very alone. Um, you know, so I know what it's like for to get a record at the right time. Um, and to, again, contribute to be somebody that people look at and go, man, that dude helped me out. 
I mean, again, you're just, you're just trying to, you know, leave the world or at least your room or whatever you got going on, leave it a little bit better than when you got there. Yeah. And it's amazing how you've had an impact on so many people's lives. Asher, when you look back on your entire career, what are you most proud of about yourself and what you've achieved in this game so far? You know, man, I standing up for myself and I think, I hope, I hope that other people do this can do the same thing, you know, like, you know, there's so much around that wants us to conform and that wants us to be a certain thing. Um, you know, you're seeing it with maybe even the standard of beauty with, uh, you know, teenagers, male and female with Instagram. And, and you know, you're seeing it with sounds and in, in music, uh, a lot of the drums, you know, these kind of trap drums, you're seeing them become pre very prevalent. You see these trends, you see these things that are kind of, uh, you know, meant to reach a mass audience. And I hope that people, when they when they listen to that stuff or they see somebody and they say that's not really me, they stand by that and say, you know, that's not really me. I'm gonna I'm gonna do this uh, because there's so many influences out there encouraging you to kind of you know conform and go with the trends. And so I, I, I'm proud of myself for kind of like you know going going the route that I went. And I, you know, I, like again, like I was saying with the how I got over moment, like it got really lonely. And, you know, when you heard, heard it and all add up and you'll hear it in gray as well, like, you know, these moments of these very powerful moments of doubt, uh, they're going to happen. And I think it's important for people to know whether you're a creative or whether you're somebody that's just having the human experience, you're going to be, you're going to have lows, you know, um, you know, but, but, they're, they're also going to be joined with some really special moments. And so just like, you know, keep going and believe in yourself and take those 15, 20, 25 minutes out of your day and just check in with yourself and listen to yourself and how it's doing. Maybe you need a pal or somebody you can call and talk to and say, yo, man, what's up? How are you feeling? You know, those are all very important things. But at the end of the day, listen to yourself uh, and stand up for yourself. And I, I think you'll, you'll be pretty happy who you are at the end of the day. You haven't had a manager or an agent or anyone help you since 2011. You're on your own. You're your own boss. You're releasing new material. What's next for you in your career? I know you mentioned the EP, but what's next for you in your career that you're looking to achieve? So I really want to start signing other artists and helping artist development. You know, just what I've gone through as an artist, as a young kid in my early 20s and now in my 30s, you know, being able to pass on that information and, and kind of help people kind of, you know, skip a couple of steps not necessarily uh, just as far as not have to make the same mistakes that I did, you know, we can, we can cut that fat. So artist development is really important to me. Obviously Sunflower Philly is really important to me as well. Just having a community space, a performance space in Philadelphia. Um, so I'll, I'll be, I'll be concentrating on, you know, just creating the best music that I can for myself. And then also, you know, helping other people kind of, you know, get to a place where they feel confident in themselves and, and, and help that help their message reach an audience, uh, whether that be, you know, digitally with helping them release music or right here on stage at, at Sunflower. And you're doing that. Asher Roth, is there anything else you would love to let my audience know? Anything, man. Max, I appreciate you, man. I just want to say super professional with how you go about your, about your business. Uh, you're, 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 you are, uh, you are a, a true journalist and somebody who, who truly is, is doing something that's, that's hard to do and that's help other people, uh, you know, get their stuff out. So I just want to say, I appreciate you from myself and to everybody else listening. I'm sure they do as well. So, so thank you, man. Thanks, man. Asher off. I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you for all your work over the years with the greenhouse effect volume one, two, especially three with the new one, because 
those were some of the soundtracks of my life growing up with all the lyrics that you've had over the years, man, because that's what I enjoy most. And I respect you. And I love to see that you're continuing to create music and now looking to take artists under your wing to continue your legacy. And that's important, man. And when we look back on it, the Asher Roth story is going to be cemented in, in the history of hip hop for sure. When I'm 65 years old, be making my flyest shit, bro. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have your, you're going to have an alter ego like Dr. Octagon, I think so, I think? man. Yeah. It's coming soon. It's got to come soon, man. It, it has to. Uh, it, it definitely has. And they can follow you, all the listeners listening right now. If they don't follow you already, you make sure to follow them on Instagram and Twitter at Asher Roth. Go support them, the greenhouse. You got the new one out, volume three. Make sure you go check it out. You got the upcoming gray EP. We're looking forward to it, man. And you're always welcome on the show. When you release a new EP, we'd love to have you on and talk about it, man. We'll do exactly that, bro. Keep a lookout you know, on the Discord, University of College, and then just Asher Roth on, on Instagram and Twitter. Appreciate yep. y'all. Of course, man. Greenhouse Volume 3. Go check it out. Real hip-hop. You know what it is. Asher Roth, enjoy the rest of your night, man, and stay safe. I look forward to the upcoming music. Appreciate you, brother. Yeah. Peace out, man. Cheers. Peace.